to Industry 4.0. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Industry 4.0, episode 27. Uh, joined by a bit of a smaller group today. Uh, this week's false starts have been brought to you by Irvin over there. How are you, Irvin? <laughs> hey, if you're watching the live stream, you you saw a couple of little mishap on the start, but now we got it all figured out. And uh, on the West Coast, represented is Ooh. Jeff. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, nice and early out here in San Diego, just about 7 a.m. <laughs> Always good to see your face, no matter what coast it's on. Oh, thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we have a jam-packed episode today, full of news with uh, the initial problems with the iPhone 10 and some uh, some other developments throughout the tech space. Uh, but to start it off, um, I really wish I had an iPhone 10 to test out the glasses that I had just recently purchased from Warby Parker and. Um, I'm saying that because they're now using the iPhone 10's face mapping to recommend glasses to their customers so you can kind of simulate them being on your face. Uh, this is a pretty cool use of the iPhone 10's dot projection. I know that we talked about on a previous episode uh, different ways that they're opening up this API to uh, third parties. and. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Snapchat's not too far behind with this technology, but I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on on this API being used in apps yeah, like I, this. I like it because it's actually being used for something more useful than Animoji. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a, I think it's a great feature. It's used to um, measure um, your eye or your size of your uh, head, basically, to fit because... <laughs> Uh, to, to fit your glasses better on your face, which is a smart way of using uh, this tech. Warby Parker has been using, um, had a f- feature on their website early on uh, where you could uh, give them access to your webcam and it would like superimpose like the glasses that you were trying to pick onto your face. They had that feature for a while because I, I got my, I've had Warby Parker uh, glasses before. My uh, last one is currently sitting at a bottom of a lake, but that's that's a separate story. <laughs> but um, uh, no, I, th- I think the, this is a smart move and I, I can't wait to see any uh, other applications uh, that might use this um, iPhone 10 uh, sensor array that's that's up there. Yeah, it would be helpful for for me as well, particularly because I have a bit of a wider head. So I have to go for, I'm basically going off of measurements here when I go to pick glasses. So, and the article does mention that it would be cool to see them actually project them on your face so you can see what they look like Mm -hmm. as well as which ones would fit you best. Yeah. So I'm just curious how they get the, the scale, like how they know, because like how they know how big your face is compared to the glasses that they're recommending you. I would think that, you know, there's depth. I mean, it, it involves, it's called a true depth camera. So um, it, it takes the depth into consideration, I'm sure. And then whatever, yeah. you know, the, the array of dots is projected on your face by the, the sensors of the iPhone 10. I'm assuming it can actually take the measurement of how far away the phone is from your face and then how wide your face is, what contours your face has. Yeah. Um, and I know in the past I used uh, a website to order glasses and you, you basically like upload a picture or at least that's what you used to do. And you can see the glasses on your face that way, obviously not as nice of a method. Um, and you would have to measure things like, 
the dist- the length from your ear to the front of your face. And it was never really as accurate as you'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this would be awesome to use as a, as a fellow glasses wearer, Matt, mm-hmm. um, I would definitely benefit from this as well. Yeah. Make I'm, the little- I'm, I'm assuming this is going to kind of branch out into other, um, markets as well. Like off the top of my head, I was trying to think a little bit, I would imagine things like, like jewelry, maybe, um, mm-hmm. makeup as well, or like, uh, mm-hmm. hairstyling, things like that. Yeah. All of that would be yeah. really cool. I mean, the potential, yeah, it, yeah the potential is, is limitless. Um, yeah. Yeah. I could see like, just, it'd be, like you said, it'd be great for clothing. And I know that there's some, there's some makeup apps, I think. I don't know if it's Ulta or whoever, but their app lets you like simulate what makeup would look like on your face. That would be cool. It would be way more accurate to try that on. Not that I'm wearing makeup or anything, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's just, there there, there is a lot of potential and it's cool. And I like that. Yeah. It's good to see it being useful. Hey, do you think that they could um, provide some kind of makeup to cover up a green line? Oh man, <laughs> that was not the direction I was expecting that to go. <laughs> um, what he's talking about is the mysterious green line of death, as it's being called, is starting to appear on the edges of the iPhone X screen. And this is not to be confused with the previous issues of first release iPhones, such as Bengate. And uh, what was the other one that they called it? Um, it was not Ben Gate. It was Antenna Gate. I forget which <laughs> one that was, but this is now, I guess, Green Gate. I don't, I don't know if you'd call it that or whatever, but um, yeah. So there's just this green line of death on the side of the screen, um, and it just shows to the, goes to show you that uh, at Google's isn't the only one who has trouble uh, making displays yeah. properly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, people went all over, just stomped all over Google a couple of weeks ago when the Excel uh, news came out. And now the iPhone X is also, or 10 is also having issues, but that's- it's always a matter of time when you have a, a new phone release, just to see all these articles flood in of what's wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and even if it's like a tiny percentage, if it gets reported, it gets reported. Yeah. The, yeah. the people who are outraged or have this issue are way more, they're way louder than the ones who don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. you um, and tend to see the, the issues pop up um, more than people are just like, yep, everything's cool. It works perfectly. That those so, don't tend to make the headlines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is kind of what my take has been on the Pixel 2 XL. But yeah. um, I mean, if, you, if you're reading about this green line of death, um, they talk about the iPhone 10. They have a new diamond sub-pixel pattern for their display. Yeah. So basically what that means is it's like um, in a, the array of pixels. It has alternating lines of green diamonds and then the next line would be red and blue alternating diamonds um to basically make a grid following that pattern um which leaves you with a vertical line of green on the edge of the screen um so they're they're talking i mean it's basically trying to figure out what's causing this issue right now yeah Um, some people have reported that when taking it to the apple store with this issue they get their phone replaced so it seems like it's a hardware issue, which yeah, makes sense they're to me. saying 
the article says that it, it seems like it could be an electrical fault causing voltage to flow to all of the green pixels in that line, like you were saying. And that if that is the case, then that definitely is a hardware issue. And right. um, even and even if it's only a small percentage of devices, the pixel had this where they weren't shipping with an operating system or it's, it's this stuff happens in small batches and it's hard to completely hammer down the processes. I mean, and that, it's that, just another example of of how when you put that much new technology into something, it, you're not going to get consistency across the board as easily as you are with, let's say, the iPhone 8. Right. And you have, I mean, they have this, I mean, I'm assuming I haven't looked at the internals of the iPhone 10, to be honest, but typically with displays like this, you have those ribbon connectors from the screen to the actual board. I mean, that could, that could just be honestly one pin that's loose, right? That could cause an issue like this. It could be something as easy as that, but I think for Apple, it's easier for them just to replace a device and yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of the cause, I would think there'd yeah. be something along those lines or maybe a bad connection in general. Yeah. Cause kind of extending on that, they were saying since it is happening to such a small percentage of devices, I'd imagine it would be in Apple's best interest to want to take those devices and understand why that issue is happening. Yeah. So that way they can see if there's any kind of faults in their assembly process. Yep. That's a standard process. I've had a friend who worked at an Apple store as a, as one of the geniuses. And then he told me, yeah, that's a standard when Apple releases a brand new product. If any customer comes back with any type of hardware issue, they want that device immediately back and sent to Apple for the engineers to review. So they'll exchange them immediately. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what they, uh, the process that they go through when they first initially release a product. So that's fairly standard practice on their end. Cause it's smart too. Cause you want to know exactly what the problem is. So you fix it within the assembly line. If that's the issue. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I would, I would think, yeah, the same thing. I mean, and it's bound to happen when you do manufacturing in general, there's going to be a few yeah. bad eggs, so to speak, in what you push out, unless yeah. you have some phenomenal manufacturing process that everyone else could learn from. It'd so, be interesting well, to see if it's actually Apple's fault or is Samsung, who's actually the manufacturer of this display, who's, right. who's, who's Yeah, that'd be interesting to the, see what part of the hardware is failing. Yeah. If they exactly. released that information at all, then yeah, it's probably not. Yeah. But, yeah, but this isn't the only display issue that the iPhone's no, having. It is not. Um, it's been yeah. getting, it's been getting a little chilly up in the northeast uh, lately, and uh, if you have an iPhone <laughs> X, you might have uh, issues with your screen uh, responsiveness. Yeah, um, and what they're saying the issue is is that for a few seconds, your phone becomes incredibly unresponsive to touch and respond and just navigating menus and it's way less accurate when your phone encounters a rapid change in temperature. And I would imagine just thinking it from a hardware perspective, just kind of going off into my like low level on trying to figure out what the problem would be. I'd imagine it's just throttling, mm-hmm. just trying to or throttle things back to handle the temperature. Is it OLED? Cause I've haven't experienced old, uh, I've had OLED screens on my phones for a while now. I haven't experienced any slowdowns. Uh, when well, it's cold outside, do the pixels behave differently? I mean, my 6P would slow down a ton for a little bit in incredibly cold weather, but that's just cold weather and phones. But um, what they're saying is uh, 
And they actually did provide some guidance on iOS devices and saying that they were keep to keep your device between zero and 35 degrees Celsius for urban and all of our European listeners and 32 and 95 degrees for all of us Americans. So that's that's silly to me because they're basically saying if you live in an area like you guys in the Northeast right now, if you're in 20 degree weather, that's saying don't use your device. So yeah. or at least don't use it outside. And that's just not going to happen. Um, they just want us all to move to Cupertino. That's all. Yeah, pretty much. The, mm-hmm. yeah. the beautiful sunshine of California. We right. see a, a massive migration of people away from cold regions because of this. <laughs> And this is what they clear, get for having headquarters in California. They, yeah, that's right. the only place that you test a phone. Uh, yeah, you, you, that's one use case you didn't think of. This just in Apple opening a new plant in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> they should. It would be good for them to oh, test in different okay. plants. Mm-hmm. Or they could get a, a crazy um, kind of environmental condition room for testing. But um, this is, to be clear, this is just iPhone 10, right? Uh, yeah, it's just the display issues with the iPhone 10 for right now. So um, yeah. That's where it's coming from. But I mean, people have had issues, like I was saying, even myself included, with phones in cold temperatures all the time. It's just lithium ion batteries don't handle well in cold weather. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's even as far as the point where Urban's car doesn't get as much mileage in the winter as it does yeah but that's summer. a battery related issue this is a display but apple did state that they're going to release a software update to fix this i don't know how i don't, a I don't understand update. how that's going to work or how it's that's what work. led me to believe that it might have been like throttling the phone in cold temperatures Maybe. because uh, at, if they don't throttle it then or if they increase the cpu speed to make up for whatever hardware fault is happening then maybe that could solve the problem i don't know I uh, hope for their sake that it's a software issue because if it's hardware, yeah. it's going to be a big issue. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, as a previous iOS user, I remember if I had my phone basically like in front of my heater in my car when it was cold out and it would get too hot, a message would come on and say, let your phone cool down or else you're not going to be able to use it. Um, yeah. I wonder if this is a similar thing. I guess, is this a software issue where maybe it's, it's not coming up with a warning though. It's just slowing down. It's not responsive. Yeah. So, They're implying it's a, it's a software fault, but the fact that it's the display messing up could imply that it might be hardware. Like it's, yeah. not, it's not, not a lot of information. It's not a warning message or anything like that. It's just like unresponsiveness. So yeah, I guess we'll see how this pans out moving forward. Yeah, but they are aware of it. So they were saying, like we were saying, just use, try to keep it in an optimal temperature area or like don't use it when you're in very, very cold conditions. Just keep it in your pocket or something like that. But it's just very boilerplate guidance. It's nothing really Helpful. anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing people are going to, who are experiencing this issue are going to want an answer with. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So kind of taking things in a different direction. A lot of iPhone news that was coming at you this week, but also have some news from Uber. Um, Uber is offering express pool now with the cheapest fare you've heard of from Uber so far, um, provided you'll walk a little bit to get picked up. Um, what do you guys think about this? It's, I like it as I've actually gotten to the point where I'm considering um, setting my home address to another position, which is much quicker for an Uber driver to get to than my actual house, because I live on a one-way street. So 
it's easier to tell the driver, Hey, drop me off on the bottom half of my block and I can just walk up my block to the house. So that way they don't have to go up like three blocks and then back down to get to where I'm at. So that would be cool to see with an Uber express pool. Like if I'm not in a rush to get home and I'm not feeling like spending a ton of money on an Uber, save a little bit of money and just walk a block or two back to my house. This is nice. Yeah. And I hope, I hope it does roll out to more cities because right now it's only in San Francisco and Boston, right? So um, I think that's right. Yeah. And yeah, because I, I mean, saw it in Boston on Friday. I was uh, there and I saw this new option. It confused me. I didn't know what it was. And then I <laughs> saw that article right after. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. Yeah. So there's suge- it's um what they're doing is they're suggesting su- it's suggested pickup points, which is small optimizations to your route. And it's uh it's areas where it's easily accessible for the driver and avoids having to drop you off on like a dangerous main street or like cut off a bus to get in or something like that. If you're in a city and it will provide you walking directions to your destination after you get out of the Uber. So they really, really are covering all the bases here. And it's mm-hmm. nice that people this who is, are willing to walk can save a bit of money. Yeah. Does this work with the same as the regular Uber pool where other people can get in the car as well? If they're going to yeah. a similar direction. That's- yeah. I think the point is to pick a, a, like a central pickup location so that all the people who would be taking the same pool go to the same spot to get picked up. And that way, I mean, ultimately more people would be probably saving time instead of sitting in the car and waiting to go get the other people or sitting and waiting to get dropped off. If you all get off at the same spot where it's like a, a nice centralized location where you all have a manageable walk back to your residence or what have you, mm-hmm. um, it would save you time and money that way. So cool idea. I'm curious what kind of thought they're putting into the pickup location. If they're looking for like safe places, you know, like well-lit places, things mm-hmm. like that. And if that's yeah. going to come into uh, consideration. Yeah. If, if any of our listeners are in an area where this is rolled out and they want to provide feedback to their input on it, then that would be awesome. But um, up until then, all we have now is speculation for the article. And they were saying this, this feature brings the price of this Uber down below what San Francisco charges for a bus ticket, yeah. which is interesting. What a lot of places charge for a bus ticket. That's yeah. crazy. Um, I mean, also the Uber driver seems like they're benefiting from this too, because from what I'm reading, they don't, I, I obviously, I've never driven for Uber, but apparently drivers do not get paid during the pre pickup drive. So basically cutting down on that time is going to let the drivers bring in more money and, you know, provide more rides as well. So mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll mix you in with normal Uber pool or if it's and or if it's a mutually like if it's a distinct service from that. I believe but, it's distinct. Interesting. Because I don't think the drivers are really aware of what they're getting until they accept the ride. So but this is this would be cool because it would it not only cuts down on the time you're in the Uber it saves time to get to your destination and it saves money on all sides, which is nice. But I wish, I wish my Ubers were $2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of them that, uh, using Uber pool, it's like $3 now yeah, or something like that, or like three thirty or something. It's so cheap and it's so tempting, but I don't have that. Most times I don't have that kind of time, but yeah, that's why I maybe, don't it maybe if it's way, way cheap, then I would even consider Uber pulling, like leaving sooner. So that way I could actually take advantage of this and yeah. save some money. So, so pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. And 
Um, another update that's, going, that's happening in the latest tech news is senators are pushing to ditch social security numbers in light of our friends over at Equifax's series of mishaps. <laughs> um, I know a couple of countries have made an attempt to ditch their ID system in favor of an encrypted system, which I liked. I think that's, and I think, I don't know if Irvin knows this or not, but I think it's Denmark or the Netherlands is rolling out this uh, update where they have um, basically just it's end to end encrypted ID cards, which you use instead of a social security number, which can be guessed. But um, hopefully we go somewhere in that direction, which would be nice. Yes. As as long as you can secure that information uh, extremely well, I would think Mm -hmm. that it would move in that direction, especially in our almost post digital era, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we're, with the way that technology is moving and what it's capable of, if you can secure this information in a better way than just what is it like a, a nine digit number. Um, yeah. I think that's a good move. And I think it's a little overdue personally, mm-hmm. um, especially in light of the this breach where so many people breaches in general, where so many people's information is now out there in the open and, I mean, I've mentioned this before. My information has been um, compromised in the past during a breach, and now it's just out there. I wonder if that's going to come into, you know, affect my life down the future, uh, down, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. If they can come out with something more secure. Um, Social security numbers should go the way of daylight savings. <laughs> like <laughs> both of these are just archaic the ways of solving problems that no longer exist yeah. now. And the, the landscape of personal identification is so different from what it was in 1930 when they rolled out social security numbers. It really is. They, they need a new system. And what, like they were saying in this article that customers can easily ditch credit card numbers and um, passwords and things as they become compromised. That's a very easy thing to do, but this inflexible nine digit number that once you guess it and have it have access to literally any personally identifiable information about a customer, regardless of anything. And it's just, they can't change it. Like it's it's archaic and it's not, it's not end user friendly for anyone who does have identity theft issues, because like you were saying, it costs them, costs them money and stress. And now their information's out there permanently until they can either get a new social security number, which is an incredibly expensive process and time consuming process or just flat out impossible. So So I would hope that they would kind of make it. And okay, this is kind of getting into a fear. Um, But I would hope that if this were to take place and they were to migrate away from the, you know, standard social security number, as we know it, that they wouldn't try and slip in any kind of, changes to what that provides during mm-hmm. that process. Um, you know, it, it would have to be kind of like a seamless transition for just the identification side of it. And I, I would hope that there wouldn't be any policy changes slipped in there too, um, in light of the need for a change like this. Yeah. And they were saying um, members of the Senate committee were also advocating for rigorous data security rules. So mm-hmm. expanding the FTC authority to enforce them and stiffer penalties to motivate companies to protect consumers proactively. Looking at you, Equifax. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think these companies need to be held liable for the damage that they're inevitably doing to their customers. 
even whether it's whether it's from some script kitty in his basement who steals someone's personally identifiable information because of the negligence of a company or a state actor like these people need to be held responsible for not following state of the art security practices right because you can any of our listeners can go back and listen to the hours that we've spent going over the faults that Equifax has and among <laughs> other companies and just security negligence and just flat out ignorance to technology. And it's good. I really want to see this get pushed through. So that way those companies are held responsible because it's important. And I think they need to be held accountable for their mistakes. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and then another, another bill that is considering going through, and this is a big one is SESTA. I know um, you were excited about this one or you were uh, yeah. a proponent of this article. I wouldn't say uh, excited about yeah, this, not ex- <laughs> no, yeah. excited about what it means for the, the tech world in, in at large, because it's a major change to the, to the climate of how we do advertising. Right. Excited to talk about the development, not necessarily about what that development <laughs> encompasses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, SESTA is an acronym that stands for Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act. Um, and essentially, this is a huge Internet bill, um, mm-hmm. which is um, you know, on the path to becoming a law. And there's mixed opinions on the bill itself. Um, but it is gaining some momentum. Um, again, there are mixed opinions on this. So basically what the bill is about is, um, enforcing penalties and, um, repercussions for service providers and websites that, um, host ads or otherwise enable sex trafficking, uh, work. So this is a, um, you know, a big, a big ticket item. It's obviously something like, that's important because these kind of things that exist on the internet obviously need to be honed down on. Um, but the, the method in which this bill proposes to do so is drawing some controversy. Um, in the past, there's um, something called section 230, which basically has prevented sites and services from being prosecuted um, based on crimes committed by their user base. And this act as initially proposed would strip those protections from the platforms. Um, So basically the implications of this um, are that your big websites like your Facebooks and your Googles um, are big enough that they could really take action and keep up with these enforcements, but your smaller startups and smaller websites um, would have obviously a lot more difficulty with a lot less funding and a lot less employees, um, divisions in their companies uh, to, to, you know, keep up with this kind of act. Um, So there's a lot of mixed opinions in the tech industry about whether or not this is something that's sustainable, whether or not this is going to, you know, adversely affect the landscape of tech. Um, there have been some adjustments made to it to maybe reword um, the way this act would be enforced. And it uh, gained some endorsement from the Internet Association last week, uh, yeah. which is supported by Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and what have you. Um, but 
I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I have some opinions on this, um, primarily because while I applaud the effort to stop sex trafficking and um, this kind of nefarious advertising going on for um, whether it be something as benign as fake news or something as serious as this sex, sex trafficking, um, I, I applaud the effort to stop that problem, but I don't think it should be put on the website to solve that problem. Because if you look at any newspaper organization or any old um, non-digital company, any ads that get sent to them are vetted and reviewed and gone over thoroughly by either the company itself or by third party. And I think that this being an issue should be something that is moved to a third party organization dedicated around internet advertising standards. And I think that once we have a standard set and once we have one source of advertising where companies submit ads to where they get vetted and reviewed, um, then they can get pushed through an open system to all websites. So it will be just a, a minor update to each website to just pull ads from this source instead of wherever they're currently getting them from or hosting them from. And the ads coming to them are guaranteed to be, or at least guaranteed to the point of that company's ability to review them to be safe of any kind of nefarious or bad actors. I think that's the easiest way to solve that problem. I, I, <sighs> I have mixed feelings. I mean, I, I like the direction you went with that. It'd be, I don't think it'd be as minor of a change as you think, because it would right. definitely change the the process and the timeline of how ads are generated and put up. Yeah. It wouldn't happen um, tomorrow. Right. I was yeah. thinking whether or not it'd be fair to have a threshold where companies that are of a certain size would be held to, you know, a standard of maintaining their own ads. And then maybe your smaller guys would have some kind of uh, organization that would vet their ads or go out and, you know, make sure that nothing fishy trafficking is occurring on those sites Um, or whether that would be unfair to the big companies at that point that they'd have to, you know, monetize and budget that service. Um, Yeah. It's definitely something, <laughs> yeah. something that should be considered, though, um, yeah. because this blanket bill that they're looking to pass as is certainly seems unfair to the smaller guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of a very uh, it it doesn't see the whole scope of the issue and how much of a complex landscape the Internet is. Yeah. So, so I think this should be something that is relegated to experts in the field or should be heavily reviewed by technologists or people who know what the impact is. So I think it's impo- it's definitely a very, very important. And it's something we do need to get a bigger discussion on because um, they were saying like compliance is going to be difficult for small platforms and um, they the smaller platforms, like we were saying, just flat out don't have the resources of larger companies. So, yeah. Well, I'm sure Google can vet their ads. Um, like Mary's uh, nail product shop on Etsy or like nail product on her home website. Like she can't, she can't vet all of her advertising through her site if she wants to open up advertising. Yeah. Even though there probably is a much smaller chance that this kind of ad would be pushed on Mary's 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm referring to any kind of nefarious ad, like tailored to a specific user through a service. I don't know what you guys think about this too, but even looking at it from a, through a different lens, like if you look at uh, a platform, I mean, the example in the article I'm referencing is Twitter. Um, you have thousands and thousands, millions of whatever Twitter handles out there. And that's just so many different sources to have to vet. Um, and if one of those were to get something through, then Twitter would be liable for that action. Um, yeah, Twitter's a gigantic company, but doesn't mean that they have the resources either to go through that many different accounts. I mean, it could be as simple as a redirect to a URL put out by an account, and then they'd be liable for that. Mm-hmm. Um, something also take into well, take into consideration, um, even if the company's big. If they, you know, your Twitter, or your Facebook has a lot more streams of information to be looking through as well, and your Google, obviously, um, definitely would be internet redefining. And my two key points on this would be that a sex trafficking and things of that nature um, need to be addressed in the internet because there's no place for them, and that kind of business. Uh, and crime should not be promoted in this era. And second off that the means in which you enforce the protection against that needs to be very carefully um, drafted up right? because it could completely redefine the industry um, for the worse if it's not done correctly. And the fact that we even have advertising like this on the internet is it, it points to a larger problem that is wherever these ads are being pulled from and who is approving them. So yeah. this definitely needs to be thought long and hard about before these problems are solved. And people need to be very careful about the advertising that they view on yep. smaller and larger websites, because this is going to impact the internet as a whole. However, this does get solved. And I just hope that legislature doesn't make it too hard for smaller startup websites to navigate the legalese that's going to be required to set up a proper advertising platform. So, but with that being said, uh, I don't know if you guys had anything, any closing thoughts on that, but I think that is the first half of our episode. We made it. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to go ahead and say that that's a no, but for us, um, we have some exciting news coming up in the second half. Just some, some fun stuff about, we have to put a pun into it. We have way more news coming up for you guys <laughs> in the second half, some stuff about NASA, uh, Facebook, Intel and Logitech. So it's an exciting second half and I'm looking forward to it. So with that being said, this is the first half of episode 27 and we'll see you guys in a little bit.
Welcome back to the second half of Industry 4.0. We got some fun articles for you, but still we got to cover the basics on our channel. Um, You guys can find us on Twitch. If you're not already watching, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Podbean all under the username Industry 4.0, all spelled out. Um, If you're not using any of those platforms, you can find us on Basically, any of your favorite podcasting apps, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, um, basically anywhere that you can pick up our our feed and anywhere where quality podcasts are presented. So, um, but jumping right into the second half, we have a little bit of news about NASA um, and SpaceX and some of the other commercial entities that are going to be combining for uh, a little bit of money saving tactics. And I don't know if anybody wants to provide their thoughts on this, but it looks like it's a pretty smart move on NASA's part. Um, because looking at some of the numbers in this Verge article, their current projects are very, very expensive. So yeah, just there's, to there's, kind of throw in some numbers there, you're, you're going to say something. I mean, I was just going to mention that there's been a, a huge push for private companies uh, to buy co- private companies to make uh, space travel uh, cheaper um, and more efficient. And now uh, there's a lot of players in the game. Uh, SpaceX, of course, was one of the uh, biggest and, and most successful out of the a lot of the private uh, companies out there in, in terms of bringing the cost down. Mm-hmm. Um, and NASA's uh, going to be uh, working with these private companies to uh, save uh, on the cost of each uh, launch uh, looking into the future. Yeah, um, basically, I mean, there's an example cited in an article in 2006. They're um, looking at ways to change. They could uh, change the way they supply uh, International Space Station with supplies. Um, so they looked into working with private companies, uh, SpaceX and Orbital ATK, uh, to periodically resupply the ISS. So um, SpaceX sends up supplies inside a Dragon capsule on top of its Falcon 9 rocket, and or- Orbital ATK uses Cygnus capsule, uh, which flies on the company's Antares, I believe it's pronounced, rocket, or Atlas V rocket. Um, and basically, um, that saved... Uh, NASA billions of dollars and thus taxpayers billions of dollars um, compared to running such a program using government run vehicles. Right. And just an an example of what kind of a financial effect this could have. Mm -hmm. And the money saving goes the other way too. So they were saying the developmental benefits, many of the commercial companies have come from Orion. So much of the data that NASA gets from its tests are given to SpaceX or and orbital which then use that to kind of skip doing some of the tests on their side. So the money saving goes both ways, right? Which is nice. And they're saying um, that these, some of them can be upwards of like 50 or so million, but even further, they could save billions down the line on all sides. So this is another example of just kind of working together with NASA and all the commercial entities to build a good final product for finally getting commercial space flight and getting people in there too. Cause I know each one of them is working on their own 
um, kind of life support equipped um, rocket to send people up to either the International Space Station or beyond. Yeah, deep so. space. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the the one thing that kind of bothered me was um, NASA was coming under fire by members of Congress who were saying that it's a waste of taxpayer money or that they are wasting taxpayer money, saying that people have put money into this and the fact that these delays are causing that uh, the fact that these delays are being caused is kind of disappointing and. Um, the more support, the more setbacks SLS and Orion face, the more support builds for other options. Like if maybe if they funded NASA slightly more, they wouldn't <laughs> see such delays. <laughs> like the problem is two ways here. It's a two way street. They can only throw 19 billion at one project. So they can't quite throw their money around as, as good as they used to. Yeah. So it's a two way street here, Congress. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but I think I, I, I like this the to see this uh, investment into um, by NASA to uh, help with the cost and then going going private I think is a good way to go a um, mm-hmm. cheaper more competition because I know like government projects just run by NASA can get out of hand in terms of costs real quick. Um, yeah, but that's because cost is an afterthought for government projects, whereas with like commercial interests, they're yeah. trying to save money. Yeah. So, yeah, cap- that's a lot of pocket. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> you recuse so. yourself from that comment. <laughs> Go <a little laughs> deeper. But yeah, so moving kind of on to the next topic, just because there's a limited discussion involved with that. Um, Waymo has been making history on the earth, making tests with uh, their self-driving cars with nobody at the wheel. Yeah. So they've started um, rolling out a driverless taxi service in Phoenix. Yeah, we um, talked about this a couple of weeks ago that they were planning to launch uh, this uh, service and now they have officially launched this. So if you're in the Phoenix yeah. area, you can actually go and, and get a Waymo uh, driverless taxi uh, for now, there is going to be a Google employee sitting in the car, but they are going to be sitting in the back seat, not behind the wheel. Um, <laughs> so weird. It is really weird. Um, so they will have like the stop button if anything they see uh, will they see that might go wrong. But the plan is eventually to even remove that Google employee completely. So there will be yeah. nobody sitting behind the car. Um, and they can take you uh, from point A to B. I'm not sure if there's a limit on how far. I'm assuming it's just going to stay in the within the metro uh, of the Phoenix metro area. Uh, but um, this is pretty awesome. I would love to experience this, uh, yeah, in person <laughs> and, and see what it would uh, feel like just to get in the car and let a robot or a self-driving car just take you there. Yeah. It would be. I know um, Google's had a lot of problems too with uh, some of them getting into accidents, but all of them are caused by people hitting yes. the car and not the car hitting anything else. Like yes. um, one of the funnier examples was they kept getting rear-ended at stop signs because unlike people, Google does come to a full stop at stop yes. signs. <laughs> and people trying to roll through, just roll into the back of the car. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. um, 
There's a video that they published too uh, that shows that people have experiencing it for the first time. It's uh, pretty uh, cool. If you want to check yes. it out, it'll be posted in our show notes on our Ars Technical article. I have a, a buddy actually headed out to Phoenix this coming week, I think. Um, I'm going to ask him if maybe he'll give it a pilot run and let me know how it goes. Tell him uh, to record the experience too. That would Post be it. amazing. Page. Yeah, right. Um, but it should be noted that there's, they're starting in Phoenix. We've talked about this a little in the past too, but, and I think when we first talked about this planned uh, project, it's because it has, uh, you know, really good weather for this. Yeah. Um, it's sunny, warm, clear, usually every day. Uh, so I think also we previously mentioned uh, testing that's to occur in Detroit, coming this winter yeah, uh, for icy conditions. So it'll be cool to see hopefully a successful test program run in Phoenix. And then we'll see what happens there in Detroit uh, with some more adverse weather conditions. Yeah. I was saying that by nicer weather, you mean no weather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a very, just very gentle climate there. Hot air. Your tires will not deflate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah. Once I, I'm assuming once they get enough data for that, then like you're saying, then they'll, then they'll start really testing it. And then once, once we send it to Philly, then we'll know if it either gets beaten up in a back alley like that <laughs> robot or if it becomes an actual taxi service. It's a shame. I, um, I, I would love to pit stop in Phoenix and try this out for the show. Mm. I wonder if, there, if I'll ever get a chance to do something like that. That'd be cool. It's in a, that's not too far away from Nevada either. So we could do next yeah. time. If, if we ever get into CES, we could take a little extra time and make our way out to Phoenix. Yeah. Let's see about that. Yeah. Actually, but, uh, there was a self-driving uh, thing that just launched in Las Vegas. <laughs> and then talk the about first <laughs> day that it was live, it got into an accident. But again, the accident it wasn't, wasn't even, it yeah. wasn't the fault of the self-driving. It got T-boned, right? No, no. The whole, no. The, the whole story of it was um, there was a, a truck, like a, a huge Delivery truck. Yeah. Yeah. And he was backing up slowly um, to park and the, 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 the Waymo bus or the car, the self-driving bus. I don't think it was Waymo. It didn't expect yeah. the bus to go backwards. It yes. didn't expect it to reverse. So it didn't move out of the way. Yeah. And the truck slowly backed into it and <laughs> just kind of clipped it and bumped yeah. it. Like it said it was slow enough where people were able to pull their phones out and record it happening. So yeah, the, the self-driving cars, like you said, Matt stopped because it saw a vehicle was close, but then the vehicle backed up into it and it didn't back up as a human might do to say, Oh, this guy's going to hit me or honk the uh, horn yeah. or to let them know it's like, Hey, I'm here. Don't stop backing up. Or something. Right. And yeah, and- for any of our interested listeners that are, I shared that article on our industry 4.0 Facebook page recently. Um, so you can check out some details there uh, or in the show notes for this week's episode, we can throw them in there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, apparently the, the, it was the accident was ruled the fault of the truck driver because it he was. had plenty of time to react to it. And he, if he had looked at his side view mirror, he would have been able to see that bus. Right. <laughs> This is a lot of negligence on the part of that driver. It wasn't like oh, the yeah. situation in San Francisco where the Google car hit the bus because it pulled out or something like that. So it's a fun little story <laughs> about that. But yeah, if, if we get a chance and we're in the area, then definitely go for a ride and record that. That'd be so much fun. It but would be. 
uh, yeah, so- not the accident, but it's a uh, <laughs> Keolis is the name of the shuttle service. K E O L I S. Uh, that's the name of the service in Vegas. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but going back to the Waymo car, the little screens on the back of the seats are pretty cool showing, um, yielding to pedestrians is one of the displays that came up and like what the light is and the, the ETA on when you're going to get to your destination as well as like, just, you can see traffic data as the car navigates the road. It's almost so, like if you, if you had like a, an Uber driver who announced every decision they made to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want my Uber driver to dictate all of his actions to me now. It's like, we are approaching a red light. I'm scratching my head. <laughs> Uber attempted something similar to this uh, in San Francisco, but like I think a couple of days later, it was shut down because it was caught like running red, red lights and stuff. And the uh, San Francisco uh, government's like, "Yeah, Uber, you gotta stop. We're you're not ready." So it looks mm-hmm. like Waymo's way. Ahead of the Waymo game, ready. way more ready, <laughs> way more prepared right. with uh, their technology. And it's, I mean, we've seen very limited stuff coming out of Waymo, but I, th- they've been working a lot in the background for a couple of years. And they, I think they have an edge on a lot of players that are trying to get into this self-driving game. Yeah. And, and, and also, it might um, surprise a lot of people of how ahead that they might be. Yeah. And looking in like the the options, they actually give people riding in the back of this car some options, way more options than other self-driving car <laughs> options. But like gonna they keep, have the option to do at any time during the ride called the support center or like lock and unlock the doors or have the car pull over. Or there's another button for starting the ride when everybody's finally situated in the car. I think that we might have to retire the Waymo joke after this episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I'm, I'm curious how how that I mean the pullover button it's Waymo saying that they won't stop in an unsafe place like in the middle of an intersection. But I wonder if you could like you know set set a route maybe like a place to go where it stops along all these stores you want to go to and just keep stopping the car and getting out and going in the store and coming back or something like that. Oh, that could be cool. I'm not sure how it's going to work really. But yeah, this is like a big hell to wait. Yeah, there's a bigger yeah. conversation of what will happen if once these become uh, ubiquitous in, in a lot of cities, will you just not need a car anymore? You just get order one of these cars if you need to go somewhere um, and take it. I mean, you can sort of do that now with an Uber in a bigger city, right? That you don't need mm-hmm. a, a car if you, you can get everything done, but now that, that removes the driver too. So you just, Hey, I need a car for a couple hours and it takes you wherever you need to go. And then you're done and it goes on its way to pick up more customers or whatever. I, I, for listeners, I, for participants, AKA Irvin and Matt, imagine close your eyes and imagine a world where there's all self-driving cars. You go outside, you need to get somewhere and there is a car there to pick you up. Within 15 seconds, there are no traffic jams because all the cars talk to each other and know how they can all efficiently coexist. There are no accidents because they will not hit each other. Imagine that world. We have to come back to this world after I think about this. You do. (laughs) (laughs) Only for a couple of years, though. Yeah, it's it's soon. TM. Yeah, it's a nice thought. Mm -hmm. I like that. 
any personal vehicle will be a luxury vehicle because it's personal. It would be cool if like what uh, Elon Musk was working on where after you, if you do have an existing car and it is equipped with self-driving that after you go to work, you can just have it go do ride sharing for you while you're away to make some side money. That'd be cool. I was just going to mention cost in here. If this is going to get to a feasible point where they're really expecting people to use, unless it's just to service like a shuttle or taxi for the foreseeable future. If you want it to a point where people are choosing this over a personal vehicle at some point, the cost of these rides is going to have to be more affordable than owning your own car. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see where this goes. Um, If they're fuel efficient or for better electric, fully electric, um, you know, that could have some serious awesome, awesome effects on things like our environment and, uh, emissions in general. Mm -hmm. So this could be really cool. Yeah. And speaking of being nervous about stuff, um, (laughs) if you happen to, (laughs) if, uh, you happen to be on Facebook and have sent any scandalous photos of yourself to anybody, um, you can now, you now have an option to prevent revenge porn against yourself um facebook is now teaming up with the government to stop nude photos from ending up on messenger and instagram so this just want to be clear this is the government of australia first yeah no this is not rolling out uh worldwide just yet they're just doing a test where if you want to um send uh willingly uh pictures of yourself uh in the nude um, to Facebook, uh, Facebook will what they'll do is they'll, they'll get a hash or a a fingerprint uh, of that picture, and then every any time that someone else tries to upload that same picture, it'll automatically uh, block it, which is an interesting yeah. um, way so of I think doing it. The process it. of it is you just send it to yourself on Facebook yeah. Messenger, and then you report it, right? Yep, you report it as this being. Uh, part of that um, database. Yeah, it's like uh, there's some fight, like name that they have for it, like image-based abuse or something like that, or uh, where you can just proactively do it yourself. So if you're worried about that, then you can stop it. And it's interesting that that's their approach to do it because I would imagine that at one point, I'd hope that they don't have any people involved in this process because that could. Well, so I don't, I don't know if you guys mentioned this or not, probably not, but um, apparently their Facebook's not storing the image anywhere. They're yeah, storing the, just the Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, yeah. so if you're yeah, so concerned about someone uh, or Zuck looking at your uh, nude photos, I think you should be uh, good. In the clear. Yeah, but I wonder how I've, I've listened. That's going to be. Yeah, well, I mean, getting a hash. I mean, each picture is unique, right? So that ha- unique, that hash is unique to that right. picture. I wonder uh, how smart it is, though. Like, if you crop or resize the image, or like flip it mirrored or something, is right. it good enough to pick up that? Or yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, because they so don't actually know, yeah. so you can't do image recognition comparison because all it knows is the hash, right? It doesn't right. actually know exactly. what the picture looks like. Uh, yeah, I would assume people wouldn't crop nudes or anything like that. I mean, but if people that, yeah. find uh, interesting ways, right? Yeah, to, just inject a pixel you know. into it mm-hmm. or something. But like, yeah. So well, now, if you still want to send nudes to people, you can have Facebook pre-screen them for you. 
just make sure you send all of them through that, I guess. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Maybe if, know. If, if they want to troll somebody, they could send a nude and instantly report it so that the person cannot open it. Yeah. I yeah, guess so. It's supposed yeah. to be funny, but yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting approach to a problem that is previously thought unsolvable. So I don't know if this solves it. I don't know if I have a better solution than this, but eh, I don't, well, I, I don't, I still don't feel comfortable sending new pictures of myself to Facebook, even though it's not an actual person looking at it. I don't, well, that's, that's good of you, Urban. Um, a lot of people didn't, do not take that into consideration. Probably do send a lot of them. So for people out there who uh, participate in behavior like this, there's work being done to help protect you, which is, you know, a step in the right direction for the individuals who are so inclined to do this. Um, And I'd only imagine that the technology and solutions are going to get better with time. So it also says they're using artificial intelligence as well. So I'd imagine like we were saying, if you edited it and the AI decided it, the hash was, I don't know if it would be close enough to, I don't know how that works, but if it would be close enough to a match or if it was a, very close to a match, then they might flag it also. But yeah, as one of the, as one of our listeners in the stream has mentioned, just stop taking nudes, problem fixed. <laughs> it solves that. Hey, that's always a solution, right? Yep. Abstinence from nudes. That's right. <laughs> But um, moving away from nudes and moving into Intel, um, they have announced that they have a deal with AMD, which to PC gamers everywhere, this is a very interesting Mm -hmm. piece of news. Um, So their chief GPU architect, uh, I think I'm getting this right, Raha Kaduri, was leaving the company. And now they're announcing they have hired, uh, Intel is announcing they've hired him to serve as their own GPU chief architect. So... Yeah, so this is sort of separate. So I know, uh, Matt, you mentioned that they're teaming up with AMD uh, to, mm-hmm. and they're, for next year, they're going to launch a, uh, a, a CPU platform where it's going to have an AMD chip on top of it. This is separate from that. They're going to oh, okay. work on, that's a news item that I think happened this week. I don't think we mentioned it last week. So that's, that's going to happen. Uh, yep. But this is additional to that. Intel's actually going to develop their own chips and they hired the, like you mentioned, Raja uh, Kaduri from AMD, who was their lead uh, architect in their uh, graphic AMD's graphics uh, business. Um, so they has they have taken or stole, stolen him from AMD, and now Intel's gonna develop their discrete GPUs to compete with AMD and Nvidia. Which I I know they've been working slowly to wor- uh, improve the performance of their integrated graphics, but I think this is a another step beyond that and try to uh, offer something that actually has uh, adequate performance to perhaps not beat nvidia or amd because that's going to be quite a tough uh challenge but um Mm -hmm. at least provide something to consumers where it's enough for i'd say 90 percent of the people um for running um applications that might need uh gpu acceleration to perform better or running uh, uh simple or not so graphically intense games, just, just casual games better, um, on 
a laptop or a desktop a CPU without requiring a separate piece of hardware. Right. That'd be nice. Yeah. And it'd be good to see whether they can actually scale in the same way. There's been talks. Yeah, there's been also talks that uh, Intel just should acquire AMD. I don't think the the um, FTC uh, will be uh, uh, a supporter of that decision because that'll so. just yeah that'll just be one giant company buying another one. It's it's um, yeah I don't like that. I, I like to keep. I would like to see AMD stick around. Um, yeah, a partner partnership. No, they're yeah they're doing the partnership, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah, it's just good. And AMD needs that type of uh, exposure uh, right now to try to compete because Nvidia is really eating everyone's lunch in terms of <laughs> uh, performance lately and the stuff that they've have been launching for the right. past couple of years. And I'm reading in this article that they don't really provide a timetable for when the first GPUs are going to be shipping from Intel. And if they're going to be designing one from scratch with this uh, new acquisition, then Mm -hmm. this could take a long time. And the article says that we'd easily be talking about the first such GPU in 2022. Yeah. Wow. That's a long development time because like people don't really think, think about that when someone Intel or NVIDIA uh, or AMD launches a brand new platform, it takes years and years of R and D behind the scenes to actually get it out to the public. Yeah, so if NVIDIA have been started. working on their Pascal architecture for years as well. Yeah, yeah. so and I just can't imagine what they have in the drawer just waiting to launch out the working on currently. It's just going to be, yeah, it'd be fun to see what their pipeline looks like. Yeah, so totally. computers in 2022 will be very interesting with much more powerful Intel graphics. But in the near future, the AMD partnership is uh, Intel has stated that they're going to launch that. Uh, next year uh, with a platform and they're going to mainly gear it towards uh, laptops so thin and lights uh, giving them more power because previously they were only running integrated Intel graphics and now they're going to put those AMD chips in there and hopefully give them a little GPU boost performance boost. be interesting to see with that technology like the first gaming ultrabooks yeah. come out yeah that would as, be interesting. As, yeah, as long as they can manage the heat coming out of those things. So. Yeah. And the, keep the battery life sure. at, a, at a reasonable yeah. uh, time, then I think it should be very interesting. Yeah, I agree. But um, that's, it'll be, and I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes because, like we were saying, cooperation between these companies to, for the sake of improving technology itself is a good thing. And this could benefit computers down the road and hopefully we can start seeing like the bottom line for laptops going way up in yeah. terms of what consumer options are as long as um you know if they're if they're not so much competing anymore that could affect um the way and the speed at which they develop new products mm-hmm. um because as I mean, we've mentioned before, competition is healthy for an industry. Um if they're if they're working together, I'm curious to see if that kind of timeline or need for that change changes. Yeah. But you guys were talking about the thermals of some of these computers with this Intel graphics, but you know what else has been getting a lot of heat lately? (laughs) (laughs) Logitech has come under fire from anybody who owns a Harmony Link 
So I don't know if any of you guys know anybody who owns a Harmony Link or anybody who um, anybody who listens in has one. Um, let me preface this article by saying I'm sorry. It's not our fault, though, but I'm sorry that this happened. Uh, this is Logitech is killing off its cloud service for the Harmony Link, which is a product that basically is used to turn your smartphone into an interface for your TV kind of in the same way you'd use a remote. Um, but they're killing the cloud service behind it. So now you're going to have what looks like a very overpriced Logitech coaster. Yeah. So, so they announced in next March, they'll be shutting down those servers and anyone who was out of warranty uh, would just stop. Uh, their device would just stop working in March, 2018. And anyone who is still in warranty, they would get, um, a free upgrade to Harmony Hub. So uh, as you can imagine, there was a lot of backlash for owners who were out of warranty and their device is not that old, a year, a uh, little over a year old. Um, they were uh, outraged. That's like, how could you, it's just going to be a brick. Like, I, I don't want to buy another, this works fine. Like, why can't I just keep using it? So um, after... That backlash uh, Logitech, Logitech has announced that any owner uh, irrelevant of their current warranty status will get a free upgrade to uh, from the Harmony Link to the Harmony Hub, which is their newest version. And then uh, once they decide to clear the Harmony Hub uh, service, <laughs> this is going to be a uh, uh, just going to happen again, uh, I think. Uh, but this yeah. is a bigger conversation to uh, to talk about, like the all of these uh, devices now requiring a cloud uh, backend, and they without that cloud, they pretty much become useless. So we kind of talked about this in the pre-show before our listeners, and to kind of go over it again, why base this in the cloud for this service? Uh, for connectivity between devices is the only thing that I can think of. And Just in, one central. Yeah. pull of all of your devices so it, it knows somewhere yeah when it, they integrate with. uh the these hub harmony hubs uh integrated with like a lot of smart assistants like the google home and the echo uh so that they that requires that type of uh, cloud service to communicate with those smart assistants without that there's no way other way to integrate them uh so i, I guess Another way or with that information to rephrase the question, why is there a cloud service specific to this one device when there would be a new one issued for the new device? Why not make it a centralized cloud service that can be pretty much right. migrated when you get a new device? Yeah. You see, I, mean, I, I don't own and, a and, link. Yeah. So I don't know if I can speak much to what their cloud service does yeah. exactly. Um, but, but honestly, like server space nowadays is fairly cheap like how much was it costing logitech to keep these servers running in the back end really logitech I mean, send it to me I'll, I'll put it on my server like, I'll, I'll, I, I'll keep it running it's logitech <laughs> is a huge company and they're they were trying to save on their bottom lines like oh i can we can save i don't I, i'm just gonna throw a number out there i don't know a hundred thousand dollars in server cost a year just by shutting down the service like doesn't that 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 amount for a company like Logitech really makes that much of a difference. I don't right. think so. Right. I, it, but the fact that like, if this, this doesn't happen with other products where like, if you buy a house, 
Like right. the real estate agent can't just shut down some cloud service that renders your house useless. Like this is something that's unique to this particular era of internet of things and smart technology mm-hmm. and trying to be connected in every way. Like I'm not sure what would happen if, for example, Philips Hue, if they shut down their servers, like those bulbs may just become standard light bulbs after that, like, or stuff like this. And this has happened before in technology too. So they were saying um, the Sony dash was reduced to a fancy paperweight in July. Uh, Nest took out their $300 revolve smart home hub two years after acquiring the company. And then Amazon eBooks were disappearing from Kindles and stuff like that. Just this is one of those things where like, do you truly own a product when you buy it anymore? Or are you handicapped by some cloud service that a company can shut off at a whim, whether or not you purchase the product or not? So there needs to be some kind of standard where if you buy something, the service that you're relying on for the product to work is no longer dependent on the company because you now own that product or at least provide a way for you to keep your system up and running on your own. Right. So, like, no, I, I, no. I feel like that can't be too ridiculous a request. Yeah. Like just download an XE file or something for your windows desktop. And just, if you want that service, just run your computer and it'll use that for your network or something. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it can't be a difficult problem to solve. It's just laziness on the part of the companies to have this. And the fact that the, the product that they're offering to replace this is another cloud-based product is really shady. And it shows they don't, it's like very vindictive almost. Well, yeah, at that point you're, you're not just, you're buying the service, not just the hardware because the hardware is useless without the service. And if they can't right. guarantee that that's going to be sustainable, you know, for more than a year, certainly then that's, that's a big issue. And yeah. that's almost false advertising. It is. It's, Really, it's shady business to sell a piece of hardware that can be reduced to literally a useless coaster <laughs> after after the company decides it wants to throw a switch. Yeah. And it so. really makes you think, like, who are these people? Like, what thought goes through their head that are, that are making these decisions? Like, they didn't think about what would happen if people, their devices would just stop working. Um, the one company, uh, the, the, co- the comment from the company is like, um, we're always learning the best way to learn is when you stumble as we did here. Uh, they also said having an easy path for the customer for that's using a product and using a service is the right way of looking at this. Uh, we didn't look at it that way, unfortunately, and we learned from it. Like, how could you not look at it from having an easy path for the customer to use a product and using a service, uh, looking at the future of how that might affect your current customers? Like, why wasn't that your first thought when you're taking a look at perhaps shutting down these servers? Like, who are these people? And like, you can't call it an honest mistake. No, it's not an honest mistake. This is just laziness. And now you're paying for it because people are starting to catch on to this. Yeah. Yep. And these outcries will help. And I think people, I I know people on the internet will outcry about future uh, occasions where this will occur, not for Logitech, but other companies as well. And this is the way that we hopefully will, will make a change 
to the way that these companies behave and treat their customers, their existing customers. I was going to actually, I've been talking to you, Irvin, about this for the past few months. I was actually interested in the Logitech hub. I was too. I was too. And after this, yeah, um, yeah, Logitech lost a customer, not anymore. And, um, I feel like if a company does decide like this is inevitable for the sake of a company going out of business or something like that, that's an understandable scenario where this could happen, but it needs to be laid out in plain text. Like, Hey, this is dependent on a service provided by this company. Should this service go down, this product will only be able to do X, X, X. Like it needs to be laid out in the manual somewhere, whether or not people keep those manuals is at that point, the fault of the person, but they need to have that information available. One and two, I think that if you are going to shut down the service, you're going to have to either one offer the customer a full refund on their product, regardless of or not of whether they complain for it. And if it's a paid subscription to a service, don't charge until you shut the server down. Eat the cost. Right. So, like at that point, you're like, we're we're sorry, and as an inconvenience to you, we're going to offer the rest of the service for free, and we're going to fully refund the thing that you bought because it's now going to become an expensive paperweight. Yeah. So, or at least something along those lines. Yeah. Or offer them a discounted path towards something that won't go bad. Like yeah. here's a fifty dollar credit or a hundred dollar credit to our online store. Right. Something like that. That'll be fine. So I could take that Logitech money and turn it into a mouse. It's something that if it if they shut off a server, like my mouse doesn't break. <laughs> you know? Even yeah, even that's a little sketchy for me because that's not what you signed up for. But right. But it's a con- it's a it's a consolation prize, essentially. If they grandfather you in, like if this like if they're like, here's our new product for free with the same account services for free because we basically deprived you of what you paid for, as long as it's of equal or better value that would work for yeah. me as long as you give notice. But. Yeah. And that's the thing that people are kind of on edge about with this because they do offer the the home hub, which is right. another product of equal or greater value. But the problem with that is it's another cloud server. So how long until they shut that down? Yeah. You know? So it's, it re- it's really easy to, to skip over the customer apparently with these types of decisions. Like, they really need to take a little bit more time instead of being like, yeah, we'll just kill it. And like, you know, maybe run it by your customer base or like see how many people you're going to impact by effectively killing off a product like that. And I I have a feeling that since we are in this, this is similar to the, that when electricity first became prevalent, where they were sticking electricity in like everything and just seeing what worked well (laughs) and what didn't like now they're sticking the internet and cloud services in literally everything. And it's we're going to start seeing this across the board from other companies. This is definitely not going to be the last time this happens for sure. And it's just the time we live in people who buy a product uh, should know ahead of time if their product is dependent on an outside service in order to work. And you can probably see it if it makes you sign into a web portal or something, it's probably dependent on a service, but you also don't know that until you buy it. But. Yeah, you don't know that until yeah until you're signing up for it. Exactly. If, that, if, if you have to do that with a product, then you don't feel comfortable about potentially having your product bricked. Like, at least if they were to, if Philips were to shut down its Hue service, I still have a working light bulb. So, well, like, yeah, it, like I just have to use my switch instead of my voice now. Like that's not that big of a deal. But if your product, if you're going to have to throw it out after they do that, then. Yeah, maybe you might want to return that and spend your money better elsewhere. 
Yeah. So. Yep. Agreed. Well, I think that's uh, all we had in news for this week uh, in our second half here. So uh, just a a reminder, if you enjoy the show, if you like the news we've been uh, reflecting on and the opinions we've been sharing, uh, please do like and share, uh, rate us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitch, download on Podbean. Uh, We do. do. We do appreciate it. We do check that. And we are, uh, gaining a little bit of momentum. So the more that you share and tell your friends, the, the better for us and the better for you in the future. So um, to plug some of the work of our members while we have you here, um, neither one is on air this week, but our very own Kyle Fisher. Um, I know he's looking to expand into new ventures with his son Chase for a wrestling podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys remember the name of that one, but... Uh, on air with Keenan and Kyle. Well, that's his previous one. The, I'm not sure that's the one. Yeah. But for on air with Keenan and Kyle, Kyle's wrestling podcast, you can go to on air with Keenan.podomatic.com. Uh, also our very own Wayne Ryan Thompson has some awesome photography up uh, on flickercom slash photo slash Wayne R Thompson. And you can also find and follow him on Instagram at Wayne Ryan 21. Uh, I do the beats and music for our episodes. Uh, you can find me on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash the J bones and, uh, our very own urban Lucas. You can find him on Instagram at urban.lucas L U K A C S urban. You want to chime in there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for, uh, pointing to the Instagram. Yeah. I've been, uh, posting pretty much daily, uh, if I can, uh, going out and went out shooting, uh, with Thompson yesterday, getting some more pics and get some, uh, cool drone shots. So look out for upcoming photos and, uh, hopefully by the end of the month, an upgrade to the pictures as well. Uh, so stay tuned, Uh-oh. uh, stay <laughs> tuned to that. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out uh, on my Instagram. Also, uh, another quick shout out for, for Thompson there. He has a, a new Facebook page up. You can mm-hmm. find him, uh, Rain, I think you pronounce it. It's yeah. W-R-A-Y-N-E space media uh, at W-R-A-Y-N-E media. He's got some awesome photos and videos going there too. Him and Irvin are both putting out some awesome stuff. Lots of good stuff coming through the pipeline for our, our guys. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, that's all we have for this week. Episode 27 of Industry 4.0 for Irving, Matt, and myself. Thank you all for viewing and listening. And uh, we look forward to having you again next week for episode 28. Thanks. Thanks.